0: PI Perspectives.
1: And welcome everybody to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. Before we jump into the program, we're going to welcome our friend Nikki McKinnell Marler from IRB back. Nikki, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. I always love coming and being on the show.
1: You're just (laughs) extending the record for uh, most appearances here. You got some new stuff uh, on the horizon here. So tell me a little bit uh, about what's going on with IRB.
2: We do. And I I feel like every time I'm on here, of course, and then you get our emails and all that, we always have something new coming out. So just add this one to the list. Um, Our latest is Phone Finder. And I'll be honest, this is what I call the Cadillac of phone searches. Uh, It is absolutely incredible. as a 98% hit rate. It is all the information that you need related to phone numbers. It's got reverse phone as well. It'll also give you a phone history. And of course, the contact information, it also scores the phone numbers. It is absolute top of the line.
1: So what does that mean, scores? Can you explain that to me?
2: Which one is better? So it's it's giving you a ranking of which phone number is most likely to be the one that you're looking for.
1: So how does that work off the platform as far as the search goes? How, how does the user find this particular search?
2: You just go into the platform and we'll have a little notification says new next to it Um, you'll see a lot of different news on there because again we keep (laughs) releasing things Um, this is one of them that has new next to it and you just click on there go in there put in name city state probably that's the best way to look up what you've got and then see what comes up for you but of course if you're having trouble with it reach out to us happy to to help you walk through it um, see what we can do to help you with your case
1: Okay, and for any uh, listeners here that aren't using IRB, um, you've got some some promotions going on with uh, with with the show here. So I
2: I do. Yes, we have a a, um, for your listeners. We have 100 free credits and a two week free trial for new and returning customers. And this is um, PIP 2021. So it's PI Perspectives. So it's from so PIP. 2021. And go ahead and just put that in on the application when you go online and uh, we'll make sure that you get those extra credits. IRBsearch.com.
1: Right. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about training because you guys are doing some lunch and learns too. So tell me a little bit about that.
2: I mean, everything is virtual these days and we've always had free training for Clients and then also people who are not our clients. We just want to make sure that everyone in the industry has the information that they need. Um, So, we have started a new training as well. We have free lunch and learns. So, these are going to be twice a month. And we had our first one last week, I believe it was really successful. Um, We've got advanced skip tracing tips. We have one coming up that's focusing on asset searches, business investigations. So, they're really getting in depth, they're giving you those pro tips to make sure that you have exactly what you need to, to solve your cases.
1: Awesome. Well, Nikki, thanks for uh, jumping on once again (laughs) and saying hello. Um, And I encourage folks to check out IRB um, and, and even check out the sister company Delpoint. Um, just a great, great databases. They're part of my arsenal, part of my toolbox uh, of searches, uh, and they, they've quickly run up the uh, chain of uh, my most relied upon phone searches. I, I thought your phone searches actually were great already, so now I'm looking forward to seeing the Cadillac at work here. So
2: yeah, definitely give it a try. And the two, for IRB and Delpoint, they really do complement each other well because they are different data sets. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to make sure that we could bring all of the best information to the market, uh, regardless of what contracts are and all of that. So IRB and Dell Point, make sure that those are part of your waterfall.
1: Awesome. Okay. So let's jump into the show and Nikki, we'll talk to you next time.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Welcome to PI Perspectives. Industry veteran Mike Dorez returns to the program today. Mike was part of the Investigator's Roundtable episode last October. He's back today to discuss the benefits of outsourcing your skip tracing work. We also chat about no hit, no fees, and some pretexting tips. So let's jump right in and catch up with the guys. Please welcome Mike Dorez and your host, Private Investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everybody
1: to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is your host, Matt Spare. I'm very honored to welcome back one of our Roundtable uh, attendees from back in October. Mike Doris from Merlin Locate Services. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the program. How are you?
3: Good to be back. Thanks. We're great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we haven't talked since October uh, and folks actually um some, some folks may actually not know who you are and what you've done. And you've got a really interesting backstory. So let's cover that again, real quickly. Tell me a little bit about how you got into the business, what you were doing and, and how you got to Merlin Locate Services today.
3: Well, I started off, I was a process server, uh, put myself through college as a process server. Um, and, uh, when I was actually just about to get my degree in college, uh, which was in 1969, I believe, um, I ended up deciding I didn't want to be a speech pathologist and went to work for one of the companies that I had been process serving for as their manager of process, uh, which essentially is the dispatcher in house, the guy that puts the work out into the field.
1: I'm super curious. And, uh, what what did yeah. uh, what did process serving look like in 1969? How did you do it? A lot of well, phone book stuff or uh, what?
3: If you've ever seen um, uh, Repo Man, you know that. Movie yeah, Repo sure. Man?
1: Yeah,
3: it was a lot like Repo Man. You know, you had some really good professional process servers, but then some guys that were who knew where they came from or why right. they were serving process. Well, first of all, you'd have a team. I was at a big attorney service. Uh, We had about 15 people that would visit law offices every morning, pick up all the work that needed to be um, filed and served, and bring it into our office by about 11 o'clock. And then everybody would be furiously um, sorting down the work to get it out to the courts or over to me to set up to put out for process. And I would put the work together. I would look at it to make sure I had all the documents were correct uh, staple everything together, put a proof of service on top of it, and assign it to a, a guy uh, who would go out and serve right. guys and women. So, what
1: um, what did you do with folks serving in Vietnam at the time?
3: If people were serving in Vietnam, yeah.
1: What what would be the the process at that particular point
3: to get them served? Yeah. You know, I can't remember
1: um, <laughs> sorry. That situation.
3: That's a good question. <laughs>
1: sorry, buddy. <about it>.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Uh, you know, uh, I don't think we got those jobs. Essentially, right. we were working jobs uh serving summons and complaints, serving subpoenas in the field all day long. Right. Um, and I learned a lot about the about the legal world and about legal documents. Sure. And I decided I didn't want to do it anymore because I would, being the manager of a process serving company, uh, especially when you're in charge of the servers, you've got the servers on one side who uh, who a lot of them are fairly crazy. Mm-hmm. You've got attorneys on the other side, and then you've got all the people you're serving yeah. in the middle of it all. Yeah. And it drove me nuts. And after well, about five years of doing that.
1: I believe it. You know, so
3: it was not as crazy.
1: So I can say like, you know, Imagine trying to do this work with no cell phone, no pager, no email, no Nothing. none of that. Right? It's all no. Uh, no, <laughs> carbon it copies. Right. That was <laughs> quite helpful. Almost maybe uh, right. Y'all got radios, right? So maybe like carbon yeah. copies if you're lucky. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You'd have to go pick up the documents that needed to get served. There was no fax machines either. Wow. When I started, so that's pretty amazing. It was. It was pretty crazy. Uh, uh, I went to the owners of the company and I said, I'm going to start a skip tracing company from my house. And I want you to be my first client because we were getting 30 to 40 bad <laughs> addresses in a day at our office. Right. And we'd send them back to our clients and say, we can't serve this because it's a bad address. And I, and they would send it out to an investigator. And so I literally started my company by representing myself as Mike from the attorney service and everybody knew me, all the clients knew me because I was the guy they called when there was a problem with the service, and right. et cetera. And, uh, I taught myself how to locate people. I really had no training. I had nobody to go to, to find out. I just figured it out. And, um, cause I had a ready base and because serving, uh, finding people uh, who are going to be served is not the hardest job. A lot of these people just moved. Right. Um, they're not hiding. Right. Um, so I learned how to do the, I learned how to do them all by learning with the easy ones. Right. Um, so I became a uh, skip tracer for several years and then decided that I don't want to be a skip tracer anymore. And I moved to Ojai, California, which is a little town. Um, I taught my dad how to skip trace and he ran my skip tracing company. Uh, I left and helped him out. If he had a question, um, and I moved to Ojai, California and bought a, a coffee bean and tea and cheese store from my aunt and uncle and did that for about three years, made wow. no money um, and basically spent every dime I, I could put together right. and then went back into the uh, skip tracing business. Um, and then I started uh, figuring I bought a phone disc in about 1990, 89, maybe 90. I bought a phone disk which was the very first national uh, phone directory on CD-ROM. Right. 2000 dollars it cost. Wow. And I was blown away because there's there was no place to find phone numbers. For a national phone directory right. and it had a lot of unlisted phone numbers in it, as it turns out, because they were getting their data from not from the phone company and phone books. They were getting it from all kinds of sources. Wow. So I, I saw this product and I said, I could sell this. And my wife was a salesperson. And so I started selling the phone disc. I became a, a reseller of the phone disc. Right. And uh, it was, Quite an experience because most PIs didn't even know what a CD-ROM drive was at that point. Were you the... uh, You had to go buy one at the uh, dandy, you know.
1: Right. Were you the only one that was doing that at that particular time?
3: Oh, yeah. Nobody else was making CD-ROMs at that point for PIs. Right. And we sold a ton of phone disks. We sold a lot of them. And then um, I decided I was going to sell my PI business because I was running the PI business at the same time my skip tracing business. I had two or three people working for me. I decided I'm going to sell this business. It's making some decent money because I want to go full-time into producing my own CD-ROMs that have California public record on it. Right. Uh, I figured out that I could do that. And uh, the first guy that I met who wanted to buy my company, when I told him my idea about the CD-ROMs, he said, I will do that with you. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't, I'll invest in your company. <laughs> right. And I said, Well, that's great. And he literally wrote me a check for $50,000 on an idea. That's amazing. And bought 15% of Merlin Information Services. Wow. And I went into business selling CD ROMs and making CD ROMs. In 97, um, we went online with our first website. Uh, where we could now sell access to our data on a per search basis because the CD roms were all uh, subscriptions to like California corporations or UCC filings or fictitious business names, property records. We had about 13 different California disks. And in 97, we went online and I started building national databases at that point. Um, I became a reseller. I was one of the first resellers of Accurant. Yep, Um, which was quite helpful, right in the face of IRB, too, at the same time. And the owner of IRB was the brother-in-law of Hank Asher, who was the owner of...
1: Oh, I didn't realize it was a brother-in-law. Wow, that's that's interesting.
3: Well, he was one of them, or three owners, and and, uh, one of them was the brother-in-law. But I think Hank was mad at his brother-in-law that day that I showed up. (laughs) Hank was mad at everybody. (laughs) Well, on and off. And he made me a reseller. Wow. really pissed off the IRB guys. And I yeah. became a reseller of IRB along with all our California data. Yeah. Um, we called our product Link to America. We we used the IRB fee or the Accurate feed at that point. In fact, yeah, it was Accurate, And um, did that for several years until Hank got mad at us and shut yeah. us off. <laughs> and I had to become a, um, I became a reseller, choice point at that point. Yeah. Built our own product to compete with with IRB and accurate, never, I can say right now that we were never as good as their people search, their comp report. We were close, but because we had so much California data, we kept our customer base and and kept growing. So, so Uh, in 2008, uh, we lost about 40% of our business in about a month. Um, many of our California customers were government agencies in California.
1: Yeah. When did, um, when did Hank launch his uh, last one? Maybe 2004, something like that. Okay.
3: 2005, 2006. Now it would have been later. It was probably 2010.
1: I, I, I want to say it was probably later. Cause, cause like yeah. on my end of it. Right. So I got into this industry in, in 2001 and um, I was working in house for an attorney, but I was a licensed PI. And I remember, I remember like PI magazine and seeing the wizard. Like, Oh, Merlin, right. I'm going to try this out. Right. So I actually had Merlin and IRB. I had both of them. And then when uh, TLO came out, I I, I migrated over to that and I was like one of their earlier customers. And I want to say it was, is probably around 2010, uh, maybe, maybe earlier. Um, And uh, you know, I I just, I ended up gravitating away. I think from Merlin, I, I was running I was running IRB and and TLO for, for a bit. I always felt, even back then, before I really grew my business, because I, I started my own business in 2005, I, I always knew I needed more than one, um, you know, where I was sourcing data from. And then, like, when I was introduced to you last year, they're like, oh, yeah, Mike, Mike Doerr is from Merlin. I was like, the Merlin, right? <laughs> they're like, yeah, the Merlin. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, I was I was a user. <laughs> like, I had an account, and I, I liked it. There was another one... Um, that I had locate plus also. That was another one I think I used, uh, but
3: I think they had a lot of problems. I
1: didn't like them that much. Them. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like yeah. it. Um,
3: they, did a good, they did a good job, but they got in trouble. Um, you know, securities problems in Massachusetts selling stock in their company. Yeah.
1: I, I, I know just at, at one point, like it, it was good, but then it just was not good anymore. And, uh, you know, I made the decision to make the move when I was spending the attorney's money, it didn't really matter. You know, you just get what you need, you know, do whatever you need to do. But you know, when it's your own business and you're starting up, it's like, okay, I gotta, you know, I gotta look at my budget here. Now you, you've uh, come for, full circle here and you're running Merlin locate services. Um, so well, tell me. sold
3: sold uh, yeah, the tell me. Merlin company, Merlin yeah. data publishing in 2012, mm-hmm. um, in the face of just about going out of business, literally. And the company that bought us ended up merging what was left of Merlin with TLO. Right. That was an interesting time because uh, Hank was now my boss. And (laughs) I was now, but Hank and I were buddies. Uh, Hank always called me a founder and it really treated me quite, quite well. There was a few times he got mad at me and shut us off and all that. But uh, at the end, especially, um, he was very respectful and actually understood that I I knew what I was talking about and I knew data. Uh, Hank would call me at four in the morning sometimes, literally. Uh, you know, they were having all kinds of problems at one point where their database had, had literally become trashed. I think they're still fixing some of those problems yeah, today. It's possible. He did not figure it out. He yeah. couldn't fix it, and it was driving him nuts. Yeah. And he would literally wake up to my house to talk <laughs> to me just about how how. And he would be crying on the phone, literally yeah. telling me that I can't fix this problem. It's driving me crazy. So we got to be pretty good buddies. Uh, but he was not capable of really running that business uh, at, at the end when I was yeah. there. Yeah. And um, months after my, my company got merged with his, they filed a bankruptcy and got sold to, to TransUnion. Yeah, TransUnion came in. I, I and all of my employees got fired because we were now employees of TLO. Right. And um, and uh, that was the end of that. And I opened up a skip tracing company with all the people that were left at Merlin at that point. Right. Uh, All the tech guys got jobs. That was not an issue. Uh, But all the customer service people and the sales people that were left and skip tracers, because we had a skip tracing department at Merlin Data Publishing as well, opened a skip tracing company. I had 15 full time people uh, right off the bat. And we were doing high volume place of employment locates mostly for debt buyers right. where we could 5,000, 10,000 jobs at a time. Yeah, We'd run the jobs through databases, several databases, looking for clues. The jobs would then, um, and that was all automated. Yeah. The jobs would then hit the, the researchers desks and we would verify the leads that came up in the, um, in the database searches. Yeah, And after about three or four years of really literally finding out that debt buyers are much smarter than I am when it comes to <laughs> how do you price a job and how do you get your vendor to do all the work and make no money. Right. Um, we fired the most of the debt buyer clients and most of the researchers. I kept my best skip tracers and my best clients. And since then, it's been about five years now. Yeah. It's been a, a good business because we're working for people that aren't trying to rip us off. Yeah. Um, about half our clients are PIs uh, and attorneys. Yep. Um, we still have a lot of collection attorneys that uh, send us work. Sure. And we're a strictly a skip tracing and place of employment location company.
1: Yeah. You, you guys do fantastic work. All right. So we're going to jump out and take a, a break real quick. And then when we come back in, there there are some talking points, uh, some things we want to talk about that whole idea of, of outsourcing your skip, skip tracing. I wanted to talk about that. We're going to get into some due diligence. We're even going to touch a little bit on pretexting um, and talk about it. So before we get into all that stuff, I just want to remind everybody, Mike and I are not attorneys. Uh, we, we, we're not offering legal advice. We're just a couple of guys that, that do this type of research work that have opinions about things. So please, if you have any questions or anything like that, consult an attorney. Don't don't call Matt. Don't call Mike. Uh, we're just giving you our two cents on this thing. So everybody sit tight and we'll be
0: right back. Are you overwhelmed with your current case law? Could you use some help with your skip trace assignments? With Merlin Locate Services, rather than adding staff, you can add an entire skip trace department of licensed private investigators who specialize in skip tracing. Check out merlinlocate.com today. When you work with Merlin Locate Services, you bring on a valuable experience and trusted extension to your team. Cross-Track's
1: case management system, that is what we are talking about today. Are you using a case management system? What are you waiting for? You don't use a case management system, you really need to look into implementing that into your business regimen. I've been at it with CrossTracks now a little over a year, and it's just been a game changer for my business. They are SOC 2 certified, SOC 2 Type 2 certified. If you don't know what that means, it means that their encryption system is second to none. And you have to go through a whole screening process to figure out uh, if you can even qualify for that, and they have. So you know with certainty your data is being protected. I don't think there's another case management system out there that offers that same ability to have the SOC 2 Type 2 certification. As you guys know, I've been uh, you know singing the praises of CrossTracks, and uh, I really believe in this product and I believe you should check it out. Contact Brad, contact Pat, uh, one of the team members over there and see if it's right for you. CrossTracks case management
0: system. Check it out today. PI Perspectives. Check out the PI Institute of Education at PIinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the Investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. Are you looking to build your investigation business and improve on your skills? Have you ever wanted a resource library that is fully customizable? Check out investigatorstoolbox.com. Hundreds of investigators have already joined this fantastic community. The Toolbox is the place to go for networking, continued education, and data resource management. Don't miss the discounts and benefits from all companies like Crosstracks, Delft Point, IRB, PI Magazine, PI Gear, the PI Institute of Education, and Cynthia Hetherington. Just 49 cents a day gets you access to this amazing site investigators-toolbox.com, investigators-toolbox.com. It's time to take your business and your training to the next level. Are you a member of IntelliNet? Don't miss the virtual conference on March 23rd through March 25th. Kicking off our conference will be keynote speaker Michelle Rigby-Assad, author of Breaking Cover, My Secret Life in the CIA and What It Taught Me About What's Worth Fighting For. Educational Training Director Jeff Stein has planned another exceptional lineup of programs and speakers with at least 12 CEUs available for those that attend all sessions, plus a virtual escape room event for Wednesday evening. Once again, congrats to show guest Chris Salgado, Chris Don's the latest cover of PI Magazine, and highlights cyberpole. The issue is available today. And welcome
1: back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host uh, today. I am honored again to have Mike Doris uh, from Merlin Locate Services. Mike, welcome back to the program. How are you?
3: Good. Thank you.
1: All right. Awesome. So. We touched on it a little bit before the break about outsourcing and investigators that outsource uh, skip tracing work to you. And I, I really don't think people realize the benefits of it, uh, especially if you're a smaller shop and you're doing a lot of things. Um, you're doing a lot of field work, right? Like the attention to detail that you really need to do skip tracing work. I mean, you really have to make sure you're doing your your due diligence and you're really following the leads on the resources, right? The, the search that you're doing, the, whatever leads the resources are giving you, um, it takes time. And sometimes you don't have that time or you'll go and you'll check one source and you'll be like, okay, well, this is gospel. This address is good. Is it really though? Did you really like go through and check it? And um, I have found as being a smaller shop, with field workers i have an excellent team of investigators and there's there's a bunch of research research work that they do that i completely trust and I know they're doing but then there's other stuff where it's like okay now the time to call the merlin people and get them in on this stuff um, so tell me a little bit about that that experience so this managed services aspect to it this offering a skip tracing service what does that look like when who typically calls you to do this type of stuff
3: well in the investigative world um we have lots of, uh, of attorneys and uh, especially collection attorneys that use our service, some insurance companies, um, lots of debt buyers, so smaller debt buyers um, use us for skip tracing. But on the investigative side, um, it's mostly the smaller guys, the, the onesie, twosie uh, offices, a lot of field guys that uh, that don't skip trace um, or don't feel that they're excellent skip tracers. Uh, the, every job we get from an investigator has been worked before we get it. Right. Uh, we don't expect you to just get in a nice new fresh job and send it to us. Right. Um, and that's just not how it works. Um, so you would think that our hit rate is going to be fairly low. And how could we really do the job? Because you're going to pick off all the easy ones. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that um, while we have access to databases that likely you don't, because just for instance, clear, Tom's, reuters clear product is probably the best database that we have right uh, for a single source if you had to have a single source and you could afford clear which is like a thousand dollars a month minimum i think yeah um, for uh, access to clear um that would be the one that i would pick yeah um but we have we have basically all of them because we have enough volume and there's enough differences between them that we have the advantage of being able to look in many places um, to find what we're looking for. Right. At the same time, I would say that 50% of our locates are are found not from the databases, but from social media, from just getting people on the phone and getting them to tell you stuff that they might not tell you otherwise. Yeah. They knew exactly who you were. That's Um,
1: what um, I love about your team. Yeah. They really, really are good at doing that. Uh, You know, the, 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 not the soft skills, the hard skills, you know, the, the picking up the phone and knowing the right way. And, and I've had conversations with your team, like, Hey, this is a situation here. Like you got a kid's gloves. Like we got to be really careful how we do this stuff and delicately getting me the information that I need. Uh, there was one that we did recently. This guy was evading service, right? So if we were, if we were, and he was a foreigner who sometimes it was in New York, sometimes it wasn't right. And he had uh, this piece of property that he was trying to sell, you know? So being able to set up a situation where we knew we could get him to be at a certain location, right? Oh, I'm interested in, in leasing this property. Can you show it to me? Delicately setting up that scenario. Amazing. My client was like, how did you get this done? You know? And it's like, I got people, (laughs) I got good people that that do this stuff. Um, One of the other things that I really, really appreciate uh, and I'm going to give a plug here. Um, you guys use cross-tracks in your case management system. So when I signed up to, to start doing work with you guys, I got the whole format of, you know, hey, this is cross-tracks is how we do it. And I was like, great. I use tracks This makes sense to me, right? I can uh, go ahead and, and do things. But the benefits of having a case management system like um, where... I'm now the client, right? <laughs> I don't sign in as the administrator. I sign in as, as the client. I get to see the, the backend stuff of what my clients actually see when I set cases up. But man, the back and forth with the notes and and um, you know getting updates and things like that, I love it, you know? And you know, your team is like, they'll do certain things and they'll reach out to me for further instructions and we can go back and forth and I can make sure that they're doing it the way I need it done. And my expectations are met. And at the end of the day, that's that's what's really important. And yes, there's a premium to it. You know, I am paying you a service to do this. I'm making less money on my job because I'm paying a premium to, to have the, the job done, but it's getting done correctly. And at the end of the day, when you're dealing with attorneys, really getting the job done is more important than what the bottom line is, um, especially in New York anyways, because uh, the expenses are all recoverable. So they're their retainer fee, their one third fee that they collect, they're getting that regardless of how much money they spend on the case. You know, like, so if they settle a case for a hundred thousand dollars for, uh, just for example, they're, they're always going to get their $33,000 and they're going to recover their expenses on top of that. So, you know, investigative expenses do what you need to do to get the job done. And that, that's kind of been my experience with it.
3: Well, a lot of investigators don't pass on their costs either to their yeah. client. You have makes to. Makes no sense. Yeah, They're, you have the to. The client not yeah. paying. The clients, their clients, gonna pay. Yeah. Um, and when we get an investigator uh, who sends us a job, and uh, we tell them well, the way we do our jobs is we charge a minimum for the first two hours. Right. And um, if uh, after two hours we can't locate somebody, but there are still open leads, we'll call our client and say, "Hey." Here's our, here's the leads that are open. Here's what we've done so far. Um, we need you to authorize another hour. Yeah. Okay. And I've had clients. PI clients will say, uh, I don't I don't have it in my budget. We'll call your client.
1: Exactly. And <laughs> just make the phone call. Budget. So <laughs> so here's here's why you call your client because you'll like, say, Hey, this is what we found so far. Oh, great! Mm-hmm. They're doing it. They're getting it done. And they they got to understand that sometimes you know you pull on the thread, and the thread becomes a ball of yarn. <laughs> you got to keep pulling, right? So um, I I've never had an experience where an attorney says, "You know what, this is good, just cut it here." I mean, yeah, maybe uh, that happens on just, the defense uh, side, but not on the plaintiff side ever. Never had that.
3: Well, the the problem really is that a lot of of RPI clients are taking jobs online. They're advertising online and taking jobs from people. You know, when when we get a job from you, we ask you, what's the purpose of the locate? Why are you looking for this person? And we want to know exactly what's this case about and what's going on here. And we'll have our PI client say to us, and this is more than one, I I don't know why we're doing this. Well, what do you mean you don't know? You took a job and you don't even know? (laughs) What if this guy is going to murder the guy that you're asking us to locate? You should know why. Well, they sent it to us through the internet and I haven't been able to contact them, but they authorized $150. For
1: That's a problem. And,
3: and, you know, and yeah. my attitude back at that point is, number one, we're not going to do that job because we won't do a job unless we know why. Right. And we're assuming that because you're a PI, you're asking why. So if you're not asking why, I don't want the job. Yeah. And you're not charging enough. Yeah. Um, You shouldn't do that because by not charging enough, you're not being able to do the job right.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that was the other thing that I was very impressed with when I signed up to do work with you guys. Your application process and your vetting of people that you're actually going to get in business with. Fantastic. You know, some people might be annoyed by that. I actually appreciate that, you know, because I know that, you know, you're you're following the guidelines and you're making sure that you know if the music stops, everybody's got a chair and nobody's doing anything that they shouldn't be doing. Um, and that's, that is really, really important. So let's talk a little bit uh, about uh, something that's very uh, irksome, <laughs> bothersome, something that, that you scratch your head and go, why did you do that, right? The no charge, no found scenario. Uh, what's your opinion on that? And what do you, how do you feel about that situation?
3: Well, it's definitely uh, migrated over the years. So I started my business uh, no charge, not found, um, because I was able, I had a ready customer base, and I could call a, uh, an attorney and say, Hey, it's Mike from the Attorney Service. This is a bad address. Uh, for $75, we can locate this guy. If we don't find him, it's no charge. Right. And I could get probably 75, 80% hit rate uh, doing that. So it wasn't costing me too much. And it was a, a no no problem with the client approving a no charge if not found. Um, what I found over the years, especially when access to data became so cheap when the 25 cent search showed up and all of a sudden everybody, including my clients, the attorney clients, were right. using this data first. For me to do a no charge if not found made no sense yeah. because my hit rate was literally, well, all this data was now available my hit rate's going down because my client is doing the work before I get it. Yep. So now a 50% hit rate is still excellent as long as I can show you exactly what I did and why I couldn't find the guy. Right. Um and um and you couldn't make money with no charge if not found. And all it was doing was allowing somebody who really didn't know what he was doing, who wasn't going to survive in the business anyway, right. To um interfere and take the work before I got it. Yeah, um, And we stopped doing that several years ago. We, we charge on everything we do.
1: So here's my feeling on this stuff, right? So I think the no charge have not found is, is a situation that should live strictly in a database situation or an AI situation, right? If you're plugging numbers in and there's no real work that's involved other than just data entry and it comes back with no hit, I, I get it, okay? But if somebody's actually Doing research and they're looking and they're they're taking the effort or making the effort to really research it and get you the answer you need. You can't expect people to work for free. Yeah, I get this sometimes with the attorneys. They're like, "Oh, well, if I lose a case, I don't get paid." Okay, yeah, but if you win a case, you get uh, one third of it. So let's not have that conversation. You know, like, you know, I I get paid. Like, I'm. I tell the attorneys this all the time. Like, you don't pay for results. You just don't. You pay for service being done. You pay for my expertise, my domain knowledge of the 25 years experience I have doing this stuff. That's what you're paying for. You're not paying for whether or not, you know, I ran that plate and, and I found out who it was. No, you got to pay regardless, you know, for the research that gets done. And that's, that's my two cents, right? And again, I'm not an attorney, so it's not legal advice. Um, it, it, that's just my feeling on it. You know, I, I would never want somebody to expect me to work for free. And I think it's wrong for us to expect anybody who, who provides a service to work for free if they can't solve your problem. That's, uh, it's just not a good business model. So, and, you yeah. know, I think ne- Alexis Nexus, um, you know, or the businesses that service the attorneys and they sell them these databases with the idea that they're getting a comprehensive search. Is criminal because they're really, they're not, you know, I, I think, you know, whoever's doing the sales to these guys that sell them this idea that, you know, it's the same thing that we do as investigators. It's wrong. It, it's not even close to it. Um, especially in New York. I and mean, people moved every two months. It's it's crazy.
3: Um, well, and no, no database is comprehensive and no database is right about everything. And, and, uh, uh, uh the main thing that an investigator I mean, we find people right at the address of the TLO says they're at, yeah. um, and the server goes out and the server says they don't live there anymore. So the job comes back to us and we re-verify yeah. We talk to the landlord. We talk to the next door neighbor. Right. Yeah. That guy definitely lives there. So now we go back with a description and a car and what time yeah. to go get the guy and they go get the guy.
1: Yeah. And it's the methodology behind it. Right. So that, you know, that's something we had talked about earlier. Right. So it's, it's more than just, you know, type in some numbers into, um, you know resources, and there are tons of resources out there. I mean, thousands, thousands of resources out there that you can use to use your research. Some are paid, some are free. But the hard skills—you need those hard skills to learn how to make phone calls, to learn how to follow up, and ask the right questions, and really frame the situation where you're going to get the answer that you're looking for. Um, it's it's a skill that not everybody has, and when you find somebody who's good at doing that. You farm your workout. You make less on it, and uh, you know you mark it up accordingly and uh, keep it moving. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the elephant in the room here, because uh, I think we're moving in that direction, anyways, with with pretexting. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, we had talked earlier before we we got online about this with the FDPCA. So tell me a little bit about your opinion on this stuff and again folks this is not legal advice mike is not an attorney i'm not an attorney we're just spitballing over here on uh, on this idea so uh
3: okay
1: let, let's have it pretext well,
3: i don't believe that the, all right thanks uh, <laughs> i don't believe that there are any laws that say that we can't pretext okay uh, we're not breaking the law if we um talk to somebody on the phone to get something from them and they don't know exactly why we're calling okay, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, I don't believe that, there, that there's any laws that say we can't do that. Um, but there, there is a law called the Fair Debt Collections Practices Act, uh, FDCPA, um, which says that if you're collecting a debt, um, that you are not allowed to lie to somebody. You, can, you have to identify who you are. You have to identify that you're collecting a debt. Um, And you have to only tell the truth. And you can't threaten them with anything unless you're going to do it either. That's part of the FDCPA. You can't say, well, we're going to sue you if you don't pay, and then (laughs) you don't sue them. It's a lot to do that. Um, And we have, because we spent quite a lot of time and still have a lot of jobs of uh, locating people who are debtors, Mm -hmm. um, we follow the FDCPA even though we're not collecting a debt we're locating contact information. And it's very specific in the FDCPA and in the Fair Credit Reporting Act, that it's okay to, um, there's, no, there's no restrictions to what you have to do to locate somebody, right. okay? Um, but if we get the subject on the phone and we say, and we lie to the subject in a debtor situation, make up a story, okay? Um, we would be putting our client in jeopardy of being a foul of the FDCPA uh, because uh, an attorney or a collector can't hire someone else to do something they're not allowed to do, okay? So even though we wouldn't get in trouble as as locators, um, they can't go after us. We didn't break any rules, but our client would get in trouble yeah and they could have a file an action filed against them uh, under the
1: FBC. So so you bring up a good point here, and there is opinion in New York um, with regards to this. So it's not a law. it's it's opinion is written by the the New York State Bar Association. And essentially what that opinion states is investigators are an extension of attorney's offices. So if an attorney is hiring you to locate a defendant, um, you know, for good service or anything like that, you're actually a representative of the plaintiff and you're bound by the same restrictions and regulations that that plaintiff attorney is bound by as an attorney. So you're essentially an agent of the attorney and you got to follow the same rules. So ethics wise, there's not supposed to be contact. You know, if someone is represented by, by counsel um, or, you know, let's say it's a motor vehicle accident and they have an insurance carrier that's been involved, they've been notified that, their insured hasn't been involved in an accident, they're kind of represented. You really shouldn't be talking to them. You know, if somebody is an employee of a municipality and there's a, you know, a slip and fall or trip and fall, like they're an employee of the defendant, you really should not be having interaction with them. You know, Facebook, you know, social media, you know, you can't create that fake profile. And it, it, I, I get, I get like, Schemed out, man, when I'm talking to other investigators and they're like, oh, well, I got 20 different profiles that I use as needed, you know, to do this stuff. I'm just like, "Eh, great area, man. Like, be very careful. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying I wouldn't do it. You know, when I reach out to people, it's, hey, I am an investigator. I'm hired by so-and-so attorney who's representing XYZ. We understand you witnessed the accident or whatever. We would really like to talk to you. Please contact me at your earliest convenience, right? And a lot of times in in the the personal injury field, like people want to insert themselves in the narrative. They want to talk about what they saw. So the odds of them contacting you are usually pretty good um, for doing this stuff. But I don't know. Opinion-wise, ethics-wise, I don't do it. I don't have any of my people do it. Don't create fake accounts. I think it's, uh, it's a slippery slope that you can't come back from. Sure. Um,
3: well, you'll notice so uh, when you send us a job uh, in the application to, to to assign the job to us, we ask you: Is this a collection of a debt, and um, is this is this individual uh, represented by counsel? Yeah. And the reason we ask you that is because we don't want to talk to the subject if they are uh, represented, mm-hmm. and we will not talk to the subject. Um, and our rule has always been um, as far as a pretext. And a pretext basically is making up a story to get somebody to tell you something, basically. right. Um, that any time that you can just tell the truth, who you are, what your phone yeah. number is, why you're calling, just do it.
1: It's, a, it's 100% really right. 100% of the time, the truth is, is going to be the same.
3: You know? Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, everybody has uh, their own theory of, What's the gray area, et cetera? Uh, I can tell you absolutely. Um, and you had an article in the toolbox uh, a couple of weeks ago from I think Eldorado Insurance was yes. an article about uh, about pretexting um it, it was kind of uh bland and vanilla, but yeah. it was right. Uh, don't represent yourself as law enforcement, for instance uh, yeah that's yeah. A very that's a big no no <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't, we, we have a rule in my company called, uh, don't leave trash and the, and the leaving trash, which of course, everybody in my company has a different opinion of what leaving trash actually is. But for instance, um, I was working for a company called Amfac Thrift and Loan. That's the first place I was, a, I was a collector mm-hmm. at Amfac Thrift and Loan. I was about 20 years old and, uh, the collector next to me, I heard him talking to the mother of a debtor. Trying to find out where he was, and uh, and he represented himself as being from the city of Los Angeles uh, Health Department, and that he was doing a gonorrhea screening, Oof. and he needed to contact <laughs> the subject Sounds in painful. order to let him know that he may very well have gonorrhea, <laughs> and um, and that he should be checked right. um, somehow. And I don't know exactly how uh, they figured it out. The the people that he that he gagged uh, figured it out. Sued Amfac Thrift and Loan and immediately got like $10,000. Yeah. And this was probably 1972. So that was a lot of money. Yeah. Gunnery the was r- got running wild back then. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, there was no rules, you know, yeah. and, and my boss, who was one of the best bosses, and I, t- I learned more from from this guy's name was Dick Young uh, at Amfac Thrift and Loan. I learned a lot from him. Sure. Um but he, even he was aghast yeah. when he heard about this. But then they got in trouble. And basically, when you, if you're going to talk to somebody who's uh, where you're just trying to find out does so and so live next door mm-hmm. is 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 the standard gag because we're trying to verify an address. Yeah. But and we don't want to tell the neighbor that the guy next door maybe uh, is a subject of a lawsuit. Right. Um, so we might make up a little story for why we're calling. You know, we don't want to make up a story that's going to terrorize people. It's oh, going to leave them freaked out.
1: Yeah. You no, know? well, I mean, um, put it in, in, t- in today's times, right? You call the neighbor and saying, oh, uh, you know, this person may have been, uh, may have COVID. <laughs> you know, like he may have been infected yeah. with COVID. Yeah, well, I like can't do, awesome do that. <laughs> you so, cannot uh, do that.
3: <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a touchy area. Every investigator has to, uh, for themselves, decide, well, how far yeah. am I going to go here? I teach everybody that I've ever taught skip tracing and there's hundreds of them over the years, uh, just be nice when you're on the phone, especially yeah. to court clerk. Oh, definitely. Now, to court they're harassed court all day long. Yeah. You know? and if you approach them nicely, Hey, I, I need some help here. Can you help me? A lot of times they'll stop what they're doing and they'll go and run a search for you and yeah. tell you what they find.
1: Yeah. When I, when I was working for the attorney before I started my own business, I learned that very early on that, you know, the, the folks that, um, that you that you're submitting papers for filing to um, like a uh, request for judicial intervention, notice of motions, things like that. Like sometimes there'd be like a piece of paper missing or wasn't in the right order or something like that. And, and if you were nice to them, they wouldn't make you get offline. They just let you rearrange anything, you know, but if you were, you know, aggressive with them, they throw you out of the building. No, I'm sorry. You know, if this isn't correct, you got to go back and fix it. You know, um, or this isn't signed here, you know, you forgot to sign this here, I'm sorry, you, you can't file this today, yeah, and I remember there was this one guy in the subpoena room, and he was just this angry dude, super angry, all the time, Urgh, you know, like, I'll never forget him, and I just started like being super nice to him, and you know, I, I I figured out something that he liked. I think it was like Star Trek or something like that. And I just started talking about Star Trek, which I have a very limited knowledge of Star Trek. But hey, what the heck, right? And it got to the point where he was retiring, and I was kind of bummed out that he was retiring because I had developed this rapport with him where I didn't have to wait if I needed something, you know, if I needed to get files somewhere, you know, Hey Matt, what's up? I got you, you know, I'll take care of it. You know, and then there were other people that like I went to school with, right. So I'm online one day and I see the guys got the college ring on. So I was like, Oh, I'm class of 95. You know, where, where, are, you know, when'd you graduate? You know, it looks like, Oh, I see 93 there. Like, you know, I may have, you know, maybe we saw each other or whatever, or maybe we were back at school one point, you know, you, you developed that rapport, right? Um, so I had that happen too. Um, and always just being super kind to people. There was this one lady I remember too. She was always very grumpy and I would always like crack a joke when I saw her and, and I won her over eventually, you know, she just couldn't hate me. I <laughs> Just come in and be goofy, sure. you know, but you learn it's all psychology, well, man.
3: Yeah. So when I ran the uh, process serving business, uh, we would have these rush filings. that so they have to be Filed today, you yeah. know, where there was no way we were going to get to the court in time, you know, with traffic and everything else. And we'd call the clerk that we knew. They'd meet us at the door. They'd unlock the door yeah. for us and bring it in and file. It. Yeah, And that was because we treated them nicely when we were waiting in line all day long, uh, you know, to, oh. uh, to get papers filed. Yeah,
1: and I think that brings it back to the argument of why you charge what you charge, right? Your clients are paying for those relationships they're paying for your ability to to get that stuff done Um, because it is you know part of what we do you know it's it's that that ability to develop relationships you know you're as good as the people that you know you know especially you know if you're an investigator you can't possibly know everything or do anything you know this is a relationship-based business uh, and you get results by knowing people and, and being good to people and, and, and being ethical and developing that reputation of somebody who does things by the book, who has that, you know, sheet that you fill out to make sure that um, when you're doing the work, you're doing it the, the right way. Because, again, when things get questioned and you have to, you know, now connect the dots, it's very easy. And that's the other thing that I really love with you guys. The reports that you generate um, are very thorough. It is never a question of how did you get that information. I know that when I'm submitting something to you guys, the report I'm going to get back, it's something that is admissible in court without question, um, you know, within those guidelines. And it's not only is it admissible, it'll hold up. It's really hard to question, you know, the work there. So uh, we're going to wind down over here. But folks, I really strongly uh, encourage you, if you're, fitting that criteria of maybe you're overloaded with the work that you're doing. You don't think you're, you're hitting the marks on your due diligence research. Um, call Mike and his team and, and, and at least talk to them and figure out if it's something that makes sense for you. Um, I started doing it uh, a while back and uh, I, I've, I'm sending a lot of work their way because at the end of the day, just the, the results that they're getting, I'm very satisfied with. And it's not even a matter of, Oh, you found my person. It's the fact that I know that they're doing everything possible they can to get the right information. Uh and at the end of the day, that's important. It's just as important as finding that particular subject. It's how you found them, uh, or or the, the uh, attempts that you made to find them. What what methodology did you find? So uh Mike, if folks want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you?
3: Personally, you can reach me at Mike at MDI Um, our website is merlinlocate.com um, everything you need to know about us is there as well. Um, there's a contact form in the, at our website. Um, so, or you can just call me, uh, well, I don't know if I should give you my cell phone number or not. I'm happy to have it out there. It's not a secret. Uh, it's online probably in about 40 different places. Yeah. I think so, the skip
1: tracers can find it out there. <laughs> and yeah, if they can't, they need to call Merlin. <laughs> yeah. But just call,
3: or, yeah, just call yeah. Mike or, uh, email me, Mike at yeah. MDI verify.com and um, I'll get right
1: back. to you. Awesome. So Mike, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and thank you for everything you've done for this industry. Y- you are one of the founders. That's something we had talked about earlier. Um, I-, I think this type of work, um, you definitely had a-, a say in how things are-, are done and the methodology of doing things. So thanks for coming on. It was great chatting with you. I'm sure we'll talk to you again at some point, but uh, thank you for what you do and thank you everybody for tuning in and we'll catch everybody next week on the next show.
0: These guys could have easily kept going because Mike has such a rich history in this industry. We want to thank him for joining us today. Please consider using Merlin Locate services if you need help on your assignments. They're a big supporter of this show and Investigators Toolbox. We also want to thank Crosstracks, IRB, and the PI Institute for Education for sponsoring this show. Don't forget to check out investigatorstoolbox.com. Remember, it only takes 49 cents a day to unlock the future of investigations. So make an investment in your business and yourself today. And you can save $20 when you use code PIP201836. If you have a question or comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatelliteDI.com. And you can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd like your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. We'll be back next Monday with a new show, so make sure you tune in. And please stay safe out there.